before our podcast, you were talking about some natural light in your own office space. And just the bringing natural light into a space has such an effect on us as individuals. So whether it's an office space or an education space, it affects creativity. It improves analytical decision-making. If it's in a healthcare situation, it improves healing time for patients. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the Mid Money Podcast show today. Do you mind giving the listeners a little background more on yourself? I see that you're a local graduate who went on to go study at Texas A&M University and then went on to get a master's of architecture from the University of Michigan, which is a top 10 national program. So from the sounds of it, you could have went anywhere with your job. You could have went to New York City, you could have went to Los Angeles, but you decided to stay in Michigan. Why was this? First of all, just let me thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk with you. Anytime I get a chance to talk about architecture, especially, I'm excited to do so. But a little bit about myself, I actually took a pretty interesting road getting to architecture. After I graduated high school, I started to study culinary arts. And I headed down to a school in South Carolina and began working with a chef that designed kitchens. I realized as I was working in kitchens and working through that portion of my life that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life working nights, weekends, and holidays, which pretty much all chefs do. And I really liked the creative aspect of what I did, just was looking for something different. This chef that designed kitchens, I thought that that was really cool, came back from school that summer, talked it over with my family, some of my friends. And next thing I knew, I was over at Delta College signing up for some courses over at Delta College saying, hey, I think I'm going to give this a shot. So from there, I did do a couple of years, got my degree from Delta, transferred down to Texas A&M and did my undergraduate work. When I was there, I actually had a professor down there. And it's quite common that professors in the architecture world will jump from college to college. The professor I had used to be the dean at Harvard University. And the one thing he told our class is he's like, don't get your graduate degree here. Go someplace else, get a different experience. You need to be exposed to as much as you can. And Michigan was always my home. So the opportunity to come back home, apply to the University of Michigan, get in there, and it was exciting to do so. So That's how I went through the college experience. Why did I stay in Michigan? You're right. I mean, places like New York and Chicago, they're the architectural meccas in the United States. And as a young person, if I had a real good opportunity, and I'm not saying I looked, but if something would have came my way, I may have. It was interesting, though, as I was finishing up school, I met my wife just a few months before I graduated from Michigan. And We ended up getting engaged. And at that point, she was from the Detroit area. I brought her up to Midland in the Great Lakes Bay region, where we're from here. And that's where I'm from. She loved it. We just decided this is the place to go. She was a nurse, and this was just the logical place to go. We were near family, and we've been happy. We've loved it. We've been in Midland ever since. So I grew up in Freeland and moved away while he was in college and ultimately came back to Midland. Well, that's a special story. I appreciate you touching on that. 
something that really struck me, Paul, when doing the research for this podcast is what you wrote on your LinkedIn profile under the About section. So you wrote for all the podcast listeners tuning in right now, architecture is as much about understanding why a building needs to exist as it is to the relationship of its forms. And so creating graceful space that enhances life is part of the fundamental belief behind our work at WTA Architects. Could you explain a little about why you wrote this and then what it means to you and your firm? Well, I don't want to take all the credit for this. It's probably something I've cribbed from a lot of other readings that I've done over the years. But the thought process is near and dear. It's something that several years ago, and I think most of us go through this in our life, we ask, why are we doing what we're doing? And I struggled with that for a long time early in my career. Why am I an architect? I mean, I went to school because I enjoyed it. I had a personal enjoyment of it. But I was struggling to get past the personal enjoyment and what I'm doing. And it took me a while to understand what I'm doing for my community, what I'm doing for society and humanity through architecture. So once I was able to do that, once I was able to, for myself personally, understand the connection between designing the built environment and the impact it makes on society and my community, and people that get to use and be part of those spaces, architecture is first about the need to define some type of space. That space can be a garage, a pole barn for your toys that you need to store, or it can be as complicated as a hospital with all of its air quality issues, medical gases, electrical issues, water issues. It can be at either extreme. So there's that first problem but it should never end there with just, okay, we have a need. It should end somewhere differently. It should end by doing something for someone. Before our podcast, you were talking about some natural light in your own office space. And just the bringing natural light into a space has such an effect on us as individuals. So whether it's an office space or an education space, It affects creativity. It improves analytical decision-making. If it's in a healthcare situation, it improves healing time for patients. So being able to give people not only natural light, but vistas. And even if that vista is just looking out and seeing a rooftop or a flag in the distance or the top of a tree, it makes a difference. So being able to design space that does something better for people has always been important. So that goes to a little bit as to why that phrase I think is important to me. Double clicking into that idea, how we were just talking about how much natural light has an effect on us, even though we may not see that directly, but indirectly, there's so many other positive benefits. Have you noticed anything else about a building's design that people may not know, but once they can see the, oh, so more natural light can lead to more analytical decision-making. It could lead to, if you're a hospital, more healing time. Is there anything else like that that people may not see directly, but indirectly, there could be a lot of benefits? Maybe how the front entrance of a building is positioned. Maybe it's how an employee's break room is designed. Is there anything like simple, like natural light that you could say that has a lot of benefits that people may not know about? So the interesting thing about architecture to me is that It's sort of an all of the above type of thing. And let me explain that for a second, because I don't want to be as simple as that. Designing a space, it's really about the user needs. And 
to design a space that will be well used by a specific group of people or an individual means understanding their specific needs, their requirements, who they are as a person, what they're trying to achieve in that space. For instance, you talked about entries. Well, what type of people are they accepting to that building? If it's a business, who's coming to that business? Why are they coming to that business? Let's say it's a university. And let's say it's that first-year freshman walking into a building that's bigger than his high school or her high school for the very first time. How does that entrance welcome them? How does that space make them feel? I was actually talking with a potential client yesterday, and she said the most wonderful thing when we were talking about just this thing. She said, how does the building welcome you as a friend? We're trying to create spaces, and this happened to be an educational facility, trying to create spaces that young people can come to. And when they come, they don't feel like they're on an island by themselves. They feel like they can be amongst friends. And the building can't necessarily be your friend, but it can sure get out of the way and help foster those relationships. So it's first of all about understanding the user needs. And then it goes into this thing. So as an architect, it's interesting because what we really do in its essence is we work in this mineral world. We work with these basic elements to create space. And they evolve in so many different ways. Things that we were aware of, like walls and windows and doors and furniture and carpet and paint. But how you pull all those parts and pieces together has such a huge impact on how somebody perceives and then how they interact within that space. Sure, I appreciate you touching on that. That makes a lot of sense. What are some of those steps that you take to help make a building more functional? Does it pertain more to the actual design or possible layout or possibly maybe it's office furniture? I know from the prior answer, you talked a lot about it's very specific towards what uses you want to get out of the building. Do you mind talking a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one of the most critical parts of any project is the time spent not drawing. The reality is what a lot of people think of as the old Mr. Brady from the Brady Bunch, where he sat over a drafting table and drew. We don't really do that anymore. It's all computer generated. We're building models. We're not drawing two-dimensionally. We're using virtual reality goggles to help our clients walk through their spaces. But before we get to the point where we're drawing or building that model, the most important part is that time spent with the potential users and the client understanding, first of all, who they are. Why are you building this project? What are you trying to achieve from this project? What's the outcome you need from this? And really trying to wrap your head around that because an office space isn't the same office space for one group as it is for the other. And if you perceive it that way, that's where architecture starts to fail. I would suggest this, that and a lot of people might not like this comment, but there are really four levels of architecture in my view. There's excellent architecture, there's good architecture, fair architecture, and poor. I would say the most of what we see in the built environment hovers somewhere between poor and fair. Then there's a decent amount of good buildings out there and good architecture, and there's very little excellent architecture. And it tends to be because our priorities aren't put on the right things. 
So what we try to do within our own firm and what I've tried to do personally is with that little bit of opportunity I have in any project to try to find ways to get as close to that excellent as possible. Don't think I've ever achieved it. It's a hard achievement to hit, but every opportunity to try to get as close as possible. Going off that last question, what are some of those possible negative effects if a building isn't intentionally designed to the end user or end tenant in that scenario? Well, it's really going to be wrapped up in both physical and mental wellness. Those are two of the big ones. It's that whole feeling tired when you go home from work. Now, our jobs can be exhausting, but the building shouldn't add to that. Buildings are never going to solve all our problems. But as I said earlier, they should definitely get out of the way and they should be able to assist us in solving problems. You know, if you're a scientist and your job is to do something that's way above my pay grade and knowledge and stuff, my building can't help you solve that scientific problem or solve it for you, I should say, but it can help you. It can give you the right tools and the right ways and provide the correct environment to assist you in solving that problem. And so there's that aspect of just making my job easier, but then there's that aspect of making the space feel comfortable so that physically and mentally, I don't feel wore out because I was in a windowless room and I didn't need to be. Now, there are some things that need to be in windowless rooms, but if it doesn't need to be, why would you put it there? Or you're in a space that doesn't have any richness in it no color, no life, maybe no natural elements of any type, when that's not necessarily a necessity based upon the needed use of that space. So finding ways to get those into spaces can help offset the negative effects. I'll give you an example. And this is another one that people may or may not agree with me on, but I've thought about this for years. Why do people buy a home and spend a fair amount of time there, or maybe not much time there, and then sell that home just to move a couple of streets over or to the other side of town, which may or may not be any better. And in some cases, some people, you hear people doing this two, three, four, half a dozen times in their lifetime. Some people will say, well, you know, I'm flipping houses, I'm trying to make money. But if you found a home that was really a home that was designed around you and fit your lifestyle, even though you might be able to make a few bucks on the sale of that home, you're going to be much more hesitant to pull the trigger to sell that home. Be like, this is home to me. This is my life. This is my family. And until that house becomes a home, people are going to jump. And I think that happens a lot in architecture. We design a lot of houses, but very few homes. The more homes we can design, I think the better we're going to do for society. That's a really cool way of mentioning it, especially from a person with little architecture knowledge like myself, being able to start to grasp and undertake and understand the physical, the mental things that could take a toll on you that you wouldn't intentionally think otherwise. And so that's really cool. And so, Paul, for an owner of a building that may not have the funds to design a completely new workspace... Could you still accomplish some of the results from a renovation? And then possibly, I know this wouldn't be a perfect example or a perfect solution, but what would be some of those things that you would first try and focus on? A resounding yes. You can definitely 
achieve almost everything you want, if not everything you want in a renovation. There's a couple of ways of looking at that. First of all, 80% of the work I do is renovation work. There's a lot of building stock out there. And if you're a believer that we are stewards of the environment of which we live in, in any way, it's the most sustainable way almost to design is to start with something that's there. You're usually starting with the shell, at least, of a building, the foundation, a bunch of steel or wood that's in place already to structurally hold it up. There may be a lot you have to do to that, but there's still a lot you can take advantage of within that existing facility. So there's a lot of positives to doing that. You can see even in like you go to urban downtown areas and you see people taking these old storefronts and turning them into restaurants. I mean, many of us enjoy going into these restaurants where you can see the old bones of the building, the brick walls and stuff like that. Maybe there was stucco on the wall and it's partially peeled off. And it's that sort of charismatic character that makes those spaces interesting. So you definitely can do that and design spaces that work within our existing building stock, something we do all the time and is something that is enjoyable doing. The only negative generally to it is there is some structure in place there that you have to work around. So depending on what that is, there's usually a little bit of inefficiency with laying out a new space. So and it just depends on the type of space. If it's a restaurant where you're just fitting tables and chairs in here and there where you can, it might not be as big of a deal. If it's an office space where you've got to get a conference room here and a meeting space here and offices here and the kitchenette here, it could be a little more difficult. You may have some inefficiencies. Usually those aren't too bad. I would say they usually add up to be about 10% of the floor space that becomes a little less efficient. So in most cases, we can make it fairly efficient. In your opinion, Paul, What are some of the greatest unseen benefits a business can realize from having a more well-designed workplace? And then how often should people be thinking about making changes to their workspaces? I can understand that possible trends or new technology could come in. But from an outsider's perspective, I'm not sure if this happens and is changes as much as tech does, maybe as much as an iPhone does. I mean, what were your thoughts on both those things? That last one of predicting what's going to happen I think like many others, architects have failed at that over the years for generations. We always talk about that with our clients. We're trying to make your buildings as future-proof as possible, but there's always something you're not quite ready for. I mean, I had a client ask me the other day, should we be buying property in the meta world? And I'm like, what is the meta world? And I begin to understand it's this virtual reality world. And I don't have an answer for that, by the way. But when you start to have clients asking you if they should buy property to develop the same thing you're developing physically in this virtual reality world, that's a whole nother level of architecture that we're on the cusp of. So that's always a challenge. We're always looking ahead the best we can and trying to predict things. I mean, probably like any professional, you're trying to stay up on the latest trends and technology within your building types or your specific work. And we're doing the same thing from that standpoint. I would say, though, that a good building tends to transcend time a bit. How often do we enjoy historic buildings and going into some of the older building stock we have around our communities? In Michigan, we go on vacations and we stop at lighthouses And even some of those have had to deal with technology changes and stuff, but many of them still operate. 
as lighthouses, but we can go in them and we can see them and we can experience them even though they're older. And so we can definitely find advantages in dealing with those. Those benefits, again, are going to come back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, efficiency, mental and physical wellness, a staff that enjoys being in that space, collaborating in that space. We've went through a big transition, even before the pandemic, of what a workspace was. And it's really a workspace. It happened in the education world. So a lot of our building stock has went from this old traditional head-down leadership model where there was a boss and there was task and you did your task and then you went home at the end of the day to where it's a much more collaborative space. We recently renovated a conference and boardroom for one of Michigan's largest corporations and the CEO basically said, I don't want what was here, which was a round room with wood paneling and a big round board table. They wanted a space that they could collaborate in, that they could have small breakout sessions in, that they could do studies and bounce ideas off of one another and be free thinking in so that all the board members or whoever was using that space felt like they had the same voice as the president, the CEO of the company. There's been this transition, and we see that in education as well, where education is becoming less of a top-down learning model, and students are being encouraged to not necessarily self-educate, but definitely self-learn by working with each other in groups and communication and being part of the leadership and forming the way that the learning model goes in a specific class. And those spaces require a bit of a different layout. So a well-designed space can allow for that to happen. And then I'll go back to what I said earlier on welcoming buildings, a place where you can go where you feel like you're amongst friends, that you just feel comfortable. If it's well-designed, it does that. That is one of the hugest things for us to overcome as people when we go into spaces. We spend over 90% of our life, probably more of it in Michigan than if you're in San Diego, but you spend a lot of time in buildings. Those buildings should be a place that you feel like you're among friends. I couldn't agree enough. And so now, Paul, it is time for a new lightning round of questions. What would you say is your most important daily habit? For me, it's pretty simple. It's spending time alone with God, just making sure every day I start that day as fresh as I can. I've cleared my mind. I've tried to realize that day what's really important throughout this day. And I will tell you, sometimes it takes 30 seconds and I'm away from that and I'm into something and I'm worried and stressed about something, sometimes I can get through a good part of the day and feel like I've got it together. But that's one of my biggest things. What's your favorite TV or streaming show that you're currently watching or have recently? I'm going to go real old-fashioned on this. It's still an active show, but it's been around for years. And I'll explain. So this old house, the PBS show, I love that show and I like it even so much more than some of the HGTV stuff and all that as an architect. Not that I don't appreciate some of those home improvement shows and stuff like that, but sometimes the perception isn't quite there. In 30 minutes, 
they can find you a house and they can renovate the house and you can be moved in. For me as an architect, I'm not always seeing the detail I want to see. And this old house has always been one of those shows that takes a season and they go through the process of what they're going to do with that house, understanding the homeowners, building that house, renovating that house. And then just the detail, the craftsmanship that they do within that house and in those programs has always been wonderful to me. And one of the things that's been wonderful these past several years that that program has done is really tried to put an emphasis on the vocational jobs that are out there. In our industry, we have a big void in that. And I say our industry, I'm an architect, but I don't exist without the contractors and the craftsmen and women that can build these things. Because that's not me. That's not my talent. I'm not a builder. But it's having those craftspeople that can do it. And we really have a lack of that coming out of our schools today. And so I appreciate a program that puts some emphasis on that. If you could be remembered for just one thing, what would that be? This was the question I told you I was going to have a tough time with. And um, I think it comes down to this. In a personal perspective, it's that I tried my best to love others and put others first. In my professional, it's almost the same thing. I've said this to my staff and people I've worked with in the past. If you're going to do anything, do something for humanity. That's not my quote, but I've loved that quote. And the idea that whatever we do in architecture, we have all kinds of constraints on us. Building codes and site issues and gravity is a constraint. We get about 15% of that design where we can have some freedom and we can do something special go do something for humanity. And I hope that I'm able to do that with the work that I do. So Paul, for people who want to get to know more about yourself or more about WCA Architects, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? Well, I think the best resource for WTA Architects is obviously our website, wtaarch.com, and has our contact information. People are always free to call us and talk to us. I have a lot of people call and just ask questions sometimes. Sometimes I have the answer, sometimes I don't, but I'm always willing to try to help out, but get to know more about the work we do and how we can help out. That would be the best place to do so. Well, perfect. Thanks, Paul. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. You've been listening to Mid Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com.